Well, as I've already told you, I did it again. It was just over a month ago, in light of the tragedy and the pain our church family was feeling at the sudden loss of Terry Heyer. It was late on a Friday afternoon. I put aside the sermon I'd been working on all week, and I started another one, because I knew that people weren't going to be thinking about what I had been preparing all week. They were thinking about the sudden and unexpected loss of Terry. And here we are again. This time it's not a a personal tragedy that largely affects our church. This is a national and a global pandemic that touches so many. And as of Friday afternoon, I realized that all my preparation needed to be put aside. And Saturday was spent reconsidering what we were going to talk about today. Because we've come here today and what are we thinking about? What are we talking about? But again, this pandemic that spans not only our nation but the globe. And we gathered today... And as we do, there are two things we desire. We desire, number one, not to spread the COVID-19 virus. And so we've taken precautions. But more importantly, what we desire today is not to spread fear. Now, understand, as we gather today, I'm not saying that we don't have reasons to be afraid. You know, the COVID-19 virus makes us afraid because it reminds us that we are mortal. And we're fragile. Psalm 103 says, As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. You see, this virus makes us afraid because we're reminded of the fragility of life. We flourish like a flower, and then the wind of COVID-19 passes over us, and we might be gone. It just takes a microscopic virus to break our bodies to cripple our immune systems, to grind our daily activities to a halt, to stop all of our plans in their tracks, and it could even end our lives. Friends, we are far more fragile than any of us want to admit or to think about. You know, when we studied the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes together, we saw that life was described with the Hebrew word hevel. The ESV translates the word as vanity and the NIV as meaningless. But as one Bible commentator explained it, Havel is whatever disappears and leaves nothing behind and doesn't satisfy. It's whatever is left after you break a soap bubble. Havel is often translated in the Psalms as breath or smoke or vapor. Psalm 39 verse 5 says, Behold, you've made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And there's nothing, there's nothing like a tragedy or a catastrophe or this pandemic to remind us that life is fleeting, like a breath. It's fragile. It's so easily blown away. And in the same way, this pandemic gives us reasons to be afraid because it does, it strips away all of the vanity and all of the emptiness in so much of our lives. You know, again, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 14, the teacher wrote, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You see, because suddenly, with, with the onset of this virus, our calendars have cleared out, haven't they? Our days have been reclaimed, our evenings are now free, our weekends are open, and all these things that we once thought were so essential in our lives, they're suddenly gone. And we're left going, whoa. Maybe that wasn't as essential as I thought. 
Maybe there's much of my life and my activity that's just vanity. Maybe things I once thought, thought so important are now being exposed as maybe not as important as I believed. Maybe I find I'm doing a lot of striving after the wind. And so we stare at the emptiness left when all of a sudden our schedules have cleared out and all those things that we once thought were so essential are gone. And that emptiness that we face can make us afraid. What will I do if I have nothing on my calendar? And who am I if not the culmination of all my activities? Who am I? All the vanity and the extraneous is now stripped away. And in the absence of our usual busyness, what happens? We find ourselves face to face with ourselves. Face to face with our questions. Face to face with our doubts. Face to face with our unresolved issues. With our brokenness and with our broken relationships. All those things from which you and I have been running. All of a sudden, that's all we have left. It's all been stripped away. And this pandemic leaves us exposed having to face the vanity of so many things with which we've distracted ourselves. It leaves you and I face to face with the important questions that we've been afraid to address. It leaves us face to face with the hard places that we've been fearful to go. It leaves us face to face with the broken things that we've been unwilling to fix. So no wonder. No wonder it might leave us afraid. Moreover, we have reason to fear because this pandemic... It reminds us that we are not in control. You're not in control. We cling to an illusion of control. And right now, many are in a panic because they're clinging to anything that's going to help them maintain an illusion of control. They're stockpiling, ritualistically cleaning, extreme isolation, vitamins, diets, prayers, piety. But friends, the control that we think we have is all exposed as just an illusion. Again, back to that book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know that his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You see, friends, the race is not always to the swiftest or the battle to the strongest. The one who takes the most precautions might still get COVID-19, while the reckless one who takes no precautions might remain absolutely healthy. No matter how much we try to exert control over our situation and our lives, ultimately, time and chance happen to us all. So yes, yes, we can and should act in prudent ways and prepare accordingly. But ultimately, this pandemic exposes that we are not in control. We are still subject to time and chance. And there is nothing like the uncertainty of a pandemic. And this one, to remind us of that lack of control. So friends, as we gather today, we have good reason to be afraid Because we might get sick, we might suffer, we might die. Now, I know that there are some out there right now who are insisting, well, no, 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 God will deliver us. If we pray, if we have enough faith, if we don't doubt, if we claim the healing that comes by Jesus' sacrifice, we will always, each and every time, be delivered. And friends, I believe that God will 
always deliver us. But let's be clear about what that means. God will always deliver us. However, church, he might choose to deliver us from, through, or to. God might choose to deliver us from. He might choose to deliver us through. He might choose to deliver us to. You see, sometimes God will choose to deliver us from a trial. We might be spared from having to face a particular fate. He might miraculously deliver us from having to suffer the, no, the novel coronavirus. Coronavirus. Coronavirus? Yeah, coronavirus. And if that's so, I'll praise and thanks to him. Because he delivered us from having to suffer it. However, sometimes God chooses to deliver us through a trial. You might remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not delivered from the fiery furnace. No, no, no. They had to go through the furnace and all of its heat. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered safely through that trial. God delivered them not from the furnace. He delivered them through the furnace. And God might choose to deliver you not from COVID-19, but through COVID-19. And if so, God is just as faithful and just as worthy of our praise. And God might choose to deliver us from, he might choose to deliver us through, or God might choose to deliver us to. You might face the trial. You might catch COVID-19. And friends, yes, you or I might die. And if that happens, did God fail us? Church, just over one month ago, our beloved Terry Heyer fell ill. And God did not deliver Terry from that trial. He suffered the sickness. He didn't deliver Terry through that trial because Terry did not recover. So did God fail to deliver Terry higher? Not at all. God delivered Terry safely too. By that trial, God delivered Terry safely to himself. Because for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can separate us from God. It's as Paul celebrated in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, in Christ Jesus, God delivered Terry to himself by that trial that Terry faced. Because God always delivers. He might deliver us from the trial. He might deliver us through the trial. Or he might safely use that trial to deliver us to himself. But God always delivers. And however he does, church, the Lord is just as faithful and just as worthy of our praise. Now, why God would deliver one person from a trial and one person through the trial and another person to himself? That's a mystery. We may never know, and we may never understand. And that not knowing, that not understanding, that can make us afraid. And then we start to grasp. We grasp at explanations. We try to fill in blanks that God did not fill in for us. So church, let's not fear. And let's not fill in those answers that God has left blank 
but let's trust. Because we find the truth that God always delivers. It doesn't mean that we might not face suffering, that we might not face pain, that we might not face COVID-19. So church, don't hear me saying this morning that we have no reason to be afraid. However, do hear me saying this morning that though we have every reason to be afraid, we will not give in to fear. And we will not be guilty of spreading fear. Just as we will work not to spread the virus of COVID-19, we will work not to spread the virus of fear. Why? Because we have hope. We will not spread fear. We will spread hope. The first question of the New City Catechism that our children are learning in Children's Church is, what is our only hope in life and in death? And the answer, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Church, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Church, you belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, life and death, and He is sovereign. He remains in control. No matter how the nations rage, no matter how the stock market fluctuates, no matter how this disease spreads, God is sovereign and you are His. As we sang, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. As such, we can have every reason to be afraid, and yet we can react not in fear, because we have hope. And church, this week, and in the weeks before, haven't we watched people react in fear, and it gets ugly. It gets ugly fast how fear separates us from one another. You might have seen the story in the New York Times yesterday about brothers Matt and Noah Colvin, who on March 1st, the day after the first coronavirus death in the U.S., they set out and over the course of three days, they made a 1,300-mile road trip across Tennessee into Kentucky, completely buying out and filling up a U-Haul truck full of thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer and thousands of packs of antibacterial wipes and thousands of masks. And then they turned and they started reselling these items on Amazon and eBay for an exorbitant markup, profiting off of people's fears. And when the online platforms became aware of the rampant price gouging, they shut down Colvin's operation and shut down all the other people who were doing it. So now these brothers are sitting on all of this stock of masks and sanitizer that people could need, that medical professionals could use. However, as the title of this article says, he has 17,700 bottles of sanitizer and nowhere to sell sell them. His greed separated him from others. He distanced himself from the suffering and the needs of others and tried to profit off of someone's fear. And now essential supplies, sanitizers, wipes and masks are not getting to the people who need them most because fear and greed separate us from others and their needs. And you and I might not be profiting from the fear of another, but fear still separates us from others and from thinking about their needs. I mean, we could move a little bit closer to home to the pasta or the toilet paper aisles at Thomaston Walmart. Fear has caused people to buy more than they need. 
Friends, there's no toilet paper shortage in this country. If we would just buy what we need and not more than we need, there's plenty for all of us. But fear makes us think only of ourselves. Fear separates us and causes us to ignore the needs of our neighbor and the vulnerable and those people who are on a fixed income who don't have disposable income to stock up on toilet paper like some people can. So church, we might have every reason to be afraid, but we choose not to respond in fear. And we will work hard not to foolishly spread this virus, but we will work just as hard not to foolishly spread and act in fear. Because we remember we are not our own. We belong body and soul and life and death to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we will not let fear separate us from our neighbor's needs, but we will serve our neighbors in their needs. We will not give in to fear because we are free to serve. You know, Jesus warned us in the Sermon on the Mount not to give away to fear, to this kind of fear specifically, but instead to serve first his kingdom purposes. You remember he said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where shall we buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer? How shall I endure COVID-19? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. We need not give in to fear, but we can join with Jesus in his kingdom purposes. We need not be part of spreading the virus or spreading fear. We can be part of spreading kingdom hope. Because church, this is what the church of Jesus Christ has always done through history. In A.D. 249, Western civilization was devastated by one of the deadliest pandemics in history. One eyewitness, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, wrote, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with this disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Then again, in the early 4th century, the ancient Mediterranean city of Caesarea had been suffering the effects of a famine and a war, and then a plague struck. And as citizens began fleeing the city, a group of determined Christians stayed. And Bishop Eusebius reported, all day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with, 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 uh, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. And because of their acts of service and hope in the midst of fear, Eusebius reported that the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. And then again, in the years 1347 to 1351, the world was faced with the most devastating pandemic in human history, the Black Death Plague. And asked for advice, German theologian Martin Luther penned a letter to his congregation and to his community at large. And in the letter was this advice. Therefore, 
I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he'll surely find me, and I have done what he expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Church, when we look through history, the Christian church has always been marked through the ages as one that did not spread fear, but spread hope that sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trusted that all of these things, including toilet paper, would be added unto us. But as you heard Luther say, he would work hard not to cause the death of others by his negligence. Because if his neighbor needed him, he didn't want to be negligent either. He didn't want to negligently cause death, but he didn't want to negligently fail to do the good. And the question for us today, church, in this time and in this place is, how about us? Will we be negligent by spreading disease? Or will we be negligent by failing to spread hope? We must work not only to not spread this disease, but we must work equally hard to spread hope by serving our neighbor, by serving the vulnerable, by serving the least of these. We dare not be either foolish or negligent. Neither should we give in to fear, nor should we spread fear. But we should join Jesus in spreading hope, in serving his kingdom. We must not let fear separate us. For when we are most afraid, church, that's when we most need one another. When we're most afraid is when we most need one another. I know I've shared before the story of of the small child who cried out in the middle of the stillness of night, and she called from her room, Daddy, I'm scared. And her father groggily said from his room, Honey, don't be afraid. Daddy's right across the hall. And after a brief pause, the little voice was heard again, I'm still scared. And this time her father said, You don't need to be afraid because God is with you. And there was an even longer pause before the small voice cried out, I know God is here, Daddy but I want someone with skin on. And friends, when we're most afraid, that's when we want somebody with skin on. I mean, what did we do after 9-11? We gathered together. We wanted to be with people. None of us wanted to be alone. In times of tragedy and great fear, you don't want to be alone. We want to be with one another. And yet in this time when we most need one another and most need human touch, we're being told not to touch each other and not to physically gather together. You see, friends, we must not let fear completely separate us from one another. And I'm not advocating foolishly and unnecessary physical touching or even foolish and unnecessary physical gathering. I'm simply calling us to acknowledge and remember how important physical presence with one another is. We remember that the gospel, the good news, is that for God so loved the world, he didn't send us a text message. He didn't tag us in a Facebook post. He didn't Skype with us. 
The gospel, the good news is Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus took on human flesh, God with skin on. He dwelt with us, he touched us, he healed us, he met us right in the midst of our fear and our loneliness. And he has now left us, church, to do the same for one another and for this world. And over these next few weeks, we may have to move for a time to mediated relationships. We may have to follow suit and resort to live streaming our services, to emailing, to texting, to video chatting. But friends, remember that the pixelated screen is no long-term substitute for presence. The touch screen is a poor substitute for touch. Online gatherings are only a temporary fix. They're not a long-term solution. You already know that. You know that because you remember when you've traveled or when you're far from a loved one, and it's good to talk to them on the phone. It's even better when you can video chat with them, but that can never satisfy your hunger to physically be with that person. In fact, it often just makes you more and more want to return home to physically be with that person. And in the same way Jesus took on a human body himself, then he gave his followers physical signs and practices. Church, we are not spiritual creatures having a physical experience, as we hear said. That's dualism. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christian theology. We are embodied creatures with physical being, and physical being with one another is important. Biblical Christianity doesn't disregard the physical world. It doesn't disregard our bodies. Christianity is about redeeming the whole physical world and seeing it all made new. And in our increasingly disembodied culture where there's already so much of us mediated between screens, what signs did God give us as we worship and to remember? He gave us water. He gave us bread. He gave us wine. Very physical elements. Very physical elements that demand we come together physically. Jesus commanded us to regularly practice these things and they can't be done through a screen. Water, bread, and wine must be handled and engaged with our physical bodies. Physical elements that necessitate physical bodies and the same physical space together. These things can't be practiced alone. You can't baptize yourself. That's called swimming. And bread and wine eaten alone are not the Lord's Supper. That's a snack. And I can't baptize you if I'm not physically present with you. And you can't and I can't share the Lord's Supper if we're not physically together. We are physically brought together by these physical signs because we are physical creatures and we need one another. And so you and I might live stream a church service on our laptop or watch it on TV. We might download sermons from our favorite preacher or listen to him on the radio. We might do personal devotions or commune with God in nature. We can be religious and spiritual without physically gathering in the church community. But church, can we be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ without ever physically gathering together? I'm not talking about those who are genuinely isolated and can't make it out. I'm I'm talking about those who are surrounded by opportunity, but choose not to. Because consider, if we can be Christians, if we can be followers of Jesus without ever gathering physically with his body, then why? Why does the underground church in China and the persecuted church in the Middle East continue to risk their freedom and their very lives to gather together? Why don't they just practice their faith privately? 
Why don't they just content themselves to meet virtually? Well, they're either fools who regularly and willingly put themselves in danger, or they understand something that maybe we're quickly forgetting in our pixelated world. We worship an incarnated God, and ours is an embodied faith. It must be practiced and nurtured in real, physical community. And so, church, I say all this today not to advocate for foolishness, not even to advocate for continued large group gatherings in the midst of the present crisis, but I beg you not to forget the importance or to forsake our gatherings. Because even if we for a time move to streaming services, media messages, and touch screens rather than human touch, do not let that ever become your new normal. Do not ever settle for the separation. Do not let fear separate us. Do not spread fear. Spread hope. Because in this pandemic, we need one another all the more. And church, this world needs us too. We are in the midst of a pandemic of fear. And we also want to remember that we are in the midst of a pandemic of grief. And we need to be ready to respond Because many long-awaited, long-worked-towards, long-planned events have now been canceled and people are left grieving. Regular gatherings are canceled and the disruption and the security that comes from the regular rhythm of life is gone. Regular connections are canceled. Meetings that were the only time when lonely people had to come together and connect and find friendship. No more. Weddings are canceled. The grief of not coming together and sharing such a beautiful celebration with family and friends is profound. Anniversaries and trips are canceled. The grief and the loss of something that's been so long planned, so long saved for, so long anticipated. Reunions and celebrations canceled. And the grief of relationships that are not going to be renewed. Plays and performances are canceled. The culmination of private discipline, of memorization, of sacrifice, of rehearsals, it's all gone. Sports seasons and playoffs are canceled. And all that's left is to grieve the the death of a dream. Records will remain unbroken. Championships, banners will be unclaimed. And titles will remain unearned. And all of that grief is before we even touch the grief experienced by those directly touched by COVID-19, the grief of health being canceled, the grief of loved ones suffering, the grief and the ultimate grief of when death visits. Church, in the midst of this pandemic of fear and grief, we must be present to one another and we must make ourselves present to those in need so that we as the church of Jesus Christ might spread hope just as the church has always done. As Martin Luther said, don't be negligent and spread disease far, but also don't be negligent in spreading hope to those who most need it. And church, in the midst of this pandemic of fear and grief, how do we do that? At the business meeting on Thursday, I read an essay written by author and theologian C.S. Lewis. In 1948, It was the dawn of the atomic era, and people were afraid of the bomb. So Lewis wrote an essay entitled, On Living and in an Atomic Age. And following the lead of another author, I've replaced the phrase atomic bomb with coronavirus and would like to read you a portion of this essay 
and listen to how timely Lewis's advice is. Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus emerged. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by coronavirus, let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about the virus. They may break our bodies because a microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds. Yes, friends, we live in a time of much fear. We live in a time where we have reason to be afraid, but it need not dominate our minds. We need not give in to fear. We need not be huddled together, paralyzed by fear, as we continually refresh our social media feed and think only of the virus. And we will not spread that fear. For we know that we are held fast in life and in death by Jesus Christ. And we will work with him for his kingdom purposes. And we will spread hope to one another and spread hope to this world. Church, let us pray. Let us pray that Christ might use us to start a pandemic. To start a pandemic of gospel hope. That might begin right here in Camden, Maine. And might, by the power of that gospel, spread to the very ends of this earth. And so let's pray. Father, in such a time as this, in such a time as we now face, give us hope, give us courage, and use us as your gospel witness here in Camden and to the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.